Hey, Freejacks faithful, this April 22nd, we're throwing our 15-bit festival celebrating the great innovation of New England. We'll be hosting none other than the English Beat, traveling back from the 80s with a full set of pop, god, Latin, soul, reggae, and punk rock-fused awesomeness. We've also got in the spotlight the Trailblazers tournament that'll have the best women's rugby club players from throughout New England. And of course, last but not least, the up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, BA, select start beer fest. So come join us. Watch the main event as we take on Rugby ATL on April 22nd. Dress in your best 80s fashion. Come on down to Fort Quincy. The vet tickets at freejacks.com. Let's roll the show. Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. We're going to start this show a little different. Cast your mind back to the season of the amazing Full Contact CEO. Season 3. We spoke to none other than Jared Orton, president of the Savannah Bananas, that baseball team that threw conventional rules out the window to adopt their own. Since we last spoke, the team has continued to blow up. They've been constantly featured on sports shows, social media. Then the ESPN of the world made a documentary about their awesome antics. They've turned baseball into a big top, can't miss spectacle. And today we're talking to the man who directs the entertainment. So let's ride. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the amazing New England Free Jacks and Heritage Sports Ventures. Today, I'm speaking to the Savannah Bananas, Director of Entertainment, Zach Frangillo, the Littleton, Colorado native, has been a classically trained dancer since he was 16. He joined the Bananas after the spring series in 2021. He's their director of entertainment. Can you believe that? Zizek was a stage manager for the famous Vegas Golden Knights entertainment team. Thanks for joining us, Zach. How did you, yeah, so we were just talking about Littleton. The Littleton area fun side was actually a rugby team I once played in high school. I grew up in Utah and they're called the Laughs, which was amazing. <laughs> so that's my experience with Littleton. How did you get, yeah. you know, from there into, into Vegas? Yeah, so I grew up in Littleton, you know, all three of my my schools, my elementary school, my middle school, and my high school were all on the same road, which was super awesome. So I grew up with a lot of people, played sports, played baseball, played hockey, played football, played pretty much everything under the sun. And, you know, that's kind of when I started dancing as well and started getting looks from different colleges for a variety of different things. And, um, you know, two of them stuck out, one in Texas and then obviously the UNLV and, you know. For some reason, once I went on the official visit out to UNLV, something just clicked. It made sense. I took classes. I felt good there. I felt like it made sense to go there. And I liked the weather. It was hot all the time. And I enjoyed that. It was nice to get away from the snow a little bit. And so it made the, made the decision pretty easy to, to head down to, to Vegas. And it, you throw an 18 year old into Las Vegas. You get the opportunity to go and live there. It was pretty cool. So. I was happy with that decision. Massive piece there. How did you get into dance? Like you're playing baseball and everything else. Yeah. Jump into dance. Injuries was a big part of it. You know, not being able to play for concussion purposes for a long time. 
um, really, really slowed down a lot of the baseball dreams. Um, but what was interesting was it was during an off season where, you know, my sisters were both involved in theater and the, the drama department and I wasn't doing anything. I was sitting at home just like moping around being sorry for myself that I couldn't play. And they were like, well, why don't you just come out and audition for the show? It was called The Miracle Worker, which is the Helen Keller story, which was not a dance show in the slightest. It wasn't a musical, which I think that would be kind of hilarious if it was. Yeah. Um, but the next one, I fell in love with it. I, I really enjoyed the people. I enjoyed my time. The next show was the musical, which was Anything Goes. And Anything Goes is a tap musical. Yeah. And you can't just jump into tap like you can musical theater style dance. Like anybody can kind of pick up musical theater style dance and practice enough. But with tap, there's so many sounds and so many people doing one thing at one time that you have to be on timing. So our, our choreographer, she put on, her name is Rochelle Nemec. She owns Extreme Dance Force back in Littleton. She taught audition prep classes that were tap. And there was like 15 of us in that class. And we just taken class, learning the steps, learning how to get better. And as the show goes along, you know, the show's happening, show ends. You know, that number 15, they were only in it because they were trying to learn the musical. Well, that number went all the way down to like two or three of us and then eventually dropped down to only me. And she's like, well, I'm not going to teach a class just for you. So why don't you just come take with our company kids? Same thing, like fell in love with those people, enjoyed it, continued doing it. And then two years later, I'm taking, you know, ballet, modern jazz, the, the whole nine yards of the dance world and just completely fall in love with it and kind of redirects my focus from, you know, is baseball the future is or is dance the future? And then once I got to UNLV, that decision was pretty much made for me. And I, I couldn't have been more happy with that decision. I, I loved the dance department. I loved the people that were involved. One of my best friends from Extreme Dance Force actually went to UNLV as well. So I wasn't alone in this in this journey, which was pretty great. But it, it, was, a, it was a very much a full circle moment of one clear end to baseball and one clear start to the professional must, dance must world. A pretty good athlete because people just don't pick up ballet and modern like in a two-year period. Like it says, yeah. Those are really hard. I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say I picked it up and was automatically a professional. I have plenty of videos of me looking like a real idiot. But oh, I worked, when are those going to surface? Can we put them on the podcast? Oh man, yeah. they're they're out there. I can. I'll send you to. I I always love watching them because it makes me laugh. Because I you know I look at it now and I'm dancing at professional ballet companies while working with the bananas and it's always fun to look back and see it and I'm just like this is this is ridiculous. Like you are so you are so out of your element here. It is ridiculous. But you obviously got to start somewhere. Exactly. Good for you and not and just keep getting better. So you make it to Las Vegas. How do you then yep. evolve eventually into being a part of the Knights team? Yeah. So, you know, in, in, from my freshman year all the way until through pretty much halfway through my sophomore year, um, dancing on Broadway was like my main goal. And then I had the opportunity to live in, in Seoul, South Korea and basically do it's kind of like a study abroad program but it's through a company style performance-based company and so i was getting credits while performing well i ended up staying there and working with the seoul national ballet and so my idea of being on broadway completely 180 and went into okay ballet is actually going to be my main focus and then when i got back i realized that i was missing com competition in my life when i was in high school i was competing in dance i was competing on the baseball field I was, I was losing out on the idea of competition and being involved in something. And shortly thereafter, I would say two weeks, maybe, maybe even a week later, the Knights posted an audition for Ice Crew and promo team members. Was this, like, was this I, the was this inaugural year getting ready? For yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, it was about a month before the season. 
And I was like, well, I played hockey. I can skate. I can go be in front of a crowd. I can dance whatever they need. You know, this is an opportunity to get back in sports while still dancing and, uh-huh. you know, pursuing my dreams. It's like a perfect job. It's perfect one in one. And so I tried out. I was the only one that was actually like a hybrid person. So if I was on, I, I could be on ice or I could be in the crowd as a promo person, whatever they need for the night. Yeah. And, you know, loved it. Loved, loved the sports entertainment. I realized it took everything that I had done up until that point in my life of competition with sports, performance, and this kind of behind the scenes aspect in entertainment and put it all into one and getting to perform in the pregame shows as the bad guy, as the villain in in those pregame shows. It it, it really just kind of took all of these things and created this nice match and blend basically for me like i don't know another person that really has all of these different yeah. things that have just kind of been put together like that and i i i fell in love with it man i everything ballet took a back seat other sports took a back seat like i my my you, you were on stage and literally that was your broadway that was like yeah exactly exactly there was no other place where you could perform in front of that many people on live television you know that i'm a junior in college that's getting interviewed by NBC. It's like these things don't just happen. And everything that kind of came with that just really pushed me and and changed my life forever. Everything that I thought I wanted from, you know, even going back to when it was baseball only before dance, like I thought I wanted baseball. Okay. That went away. I thought I wanted dance. I thought I wanted Broadway. I thought I wanted a ballet company. No, 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 no. Wait and continue to just try new things and, you know, be vulnerable and be bad at something for a little bit. And it turned into this perfect blend of, of things in Vegas. And be willing to do the work. You originally started, was that just an hourly gig? Was that a volunteer gig? How, do, how was that managed? Yeah, it was an hourly. It was game day hourly for the first year. And that was, you know, if, if you have appearances, you go beyond appearances. It's kind of like you're, you're planned being at the games and that's pretty much it. And then come year two is when we actually took over more of the stage management program. So finding contestants, you know, kind of helping on the production side of things more than being a front front facing character, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Which was also hourly, but there was a lot more of the, you know, administrative side as well that kind of goes into that, you know, doing paperwork and having to go into the office and, and getting a little bit more trust from the organization just to do a little bit more. And so from year two all the way until 2021 is that's what I did. Yeah. And that was full time. It's uh, it, more still like game day part time yeah. more than anything. Hourly part time, I think, is yeah. probably the best way to best way to put it, because we definitely weren't on salary and we weren't working you know 40 hour weeks as a part-time or 20 hour week as part-time but you know sometimes on game weeks or playoffs for example that you know when throughout the season we're working 20 hours during the playoff run or even if there's a three-game week we could be working upwards of 60 70 hours you know just because of the sheer demand that you need to put on a full-scale nhl Vegas Golden Knight production. Yeah, which is the top top of, of yeah. NHL and, and sports entertainment way up there. What's like advising us if we were to go out because we don't have a hype squad, we don't have yep. any of that yet. How how would be the best way for us to approach that? Who should we be looking for? You're going to be looking for the people that aren't afraid to just go out there and have a little bit of fun. Like that step one is whenever you're trying to get some sort of promo team or hype squad or something along those lines, the person that you're going to be looking for is the person that's almost the most out there person that you can find. 
because I would always rather pull someone back than have to push them, push them, push them. Okay. So, you know, anybody that you're looking for, um, almost the person that you're almost annoyed with, I think is a good way to put it. If, like they're so in your face and so out there. That means that they're going to be good in front of crowds. Okay. Uh, but just looking for someone that will also buy into your culture and into, into what you're doing is, is a huge part of that as well. That's awesome. Thank you. What, what did you learn in that experience with the Golden Knights? Obviously, they're well known for the entertainment piece. Mm -hmm. What was the, is that just inherent with being in Las Vegas? Or what were the decisions made in order to kind of generate that type of environment? Yeah, I mean, being in Vegas is a big part of it. You know, being the entertainment capital, capital of the world, we're not competing against, you know, at the time, we weren't competing against the Raiders or any other sports programs. We were, we were competing against the, the shows these shows that have been touring and being a part of the Vegas lifestyles for, for 40 plus years at this point, right. you know, the, the Beatles love shows, the Cirque du Soleil's of, of the world. And so we had to make an experience that was so spectacle and so larger than life that it would actually draw people to come to these games. And I'll say, I mean, granted the team winning is a huge, huge part of that. Yeah. I think that can't be understated enough, but when we were going into the season, the one thing we said is we can't control what's happening on the ice. Like we don't score the goals. We don't put the pucks in the net. But what we can do is make it the best experience for our fans to the point where we want them to continue to show up because maybe they don't remember the score. You know, I don't remember the score of my first game that I ever went to as a kid, but I remember exactly how I felt throughout that experience. And that's what we wanted to, to kind of push for in Vegas and also understanding where we are and what's going on and why we need to be so entertaining. That's great. Was it highly choreographed? Was it mostly just oh, yeah. improv, goofy? Like what was the overall thematic? Oh, no. Yeah, everything. And this is probably the one thing I learned the most in Vegas is how scripted these things really are. You know, we're scripted all the way down from the second, from the, from the second we leave for the March, which is 15 minutes before the doors even open, you know, all the way through till the end of the game to what people are experiencing after the game was all very, very scripted and very intentional so that we can really control how our fans are feeling, how they're experiencing a game. And that's exactly what I took from Vegas into Banana Land. And that's kind of like where my expertise landed was just being behind the scenes of all these things and understanding it and learning it and understanding why we do this promotion here and this moment here, why we do our hype video before the pregame show. Like all of these small little details that nobody really thinks about are so incredibly intentional yeah. um just for sure just to make sure that we know we're doing things the right way and then also adding it into the rehearsal process you know having a rehearsal process that is very intentional so we know exactly what we're doing at any given time and that we can over prepare for technical difficulties or you know problems that happen because you know live entertainment is so spotty sometimes you have to be so prepared that when something happens the fact that you over prepared left you prepared for a mistake to happen. Yeah, I love that. When you, you know, I mean, obviously you had this awesome experience there and learned from others and, and kind of yeah. were entrepreneurial and figuring it out on your own. Where do you go in the world now to see best case practices? Obviously, besides the work you guys are doing with bananas, but where do you yeah. go to kind of see the next thing or, oh, maybe we should think about it from this from this angle? Where, where yeah. are the places that you go for that? So it was, uh, it was very interesting. And this is one of the biggest differences between vgk and and where i am now with the bananas 
when I was in, in Vegas with the hockey team, with the Vegas Golden Knights, we would go see other hockey teams and watch their productions. And like, oh, they did this really well. We do this a little bit better. This is where we can improve, you know, all these things. When I got to Banana Land, we wanted to look everywhere but baseball. So what we do now is we go watch WWE. We go watch other sporting events, golf tournaments, you know, we go to concerts. We go to everything else and try to take the best parts of those things and bring them to baseball. The one thing that we always say is that we want our fans to say, I've never seen that on a baseball field before. Every time they leave, we want at least one time in the game where they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I saw this at a baseball game or that on a baseball field. And if we do what every other baseball team does, like we go watch baseball game after baseball game, eventually our ideas are going to be molded into the things that everybody else has already done. And that's the last thing we want. That's how we turn it to every other baseball team. You know, we have to be so intentional to not watch baseball, basically. And, and me personally, I'm a huge baseball fan, obviously playing it growing up. Like I'll watch a Red Sox game on TV every time I get the, every time I get the chance. But I have to be very intentional on the things that I go see live. And you can learn things from everything that you watch on TV. You can learn things from sitcoms and, and implement it into your show. Um, but just being very intentional to not pay attention to what other baseball teams are doing is very very important for us here at Banana Land. You mentioned golf. What what have you learned from from going and seeing golf experiences? Big thing was what are they doing? You know, from the top to the bottom. And what, a couple of things that I really liked was I hadn't seen it myself, but one of our our guys he went to uh, the Waste Management Open in Arizona, which is just this insane party. Of, I heard you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, I it's, heard it's insane, it's unbelievable, and it's very. It's just different. It's being different, and that's why it's so successful. You know. People are literally running to their seats on the 16th green at 4 a.m. just to get a seat for a golf tournament. You know, that's not that's not normal. So what are they doing that is so different that draws this young fan base and new and experience to to golf? And we realize it's just that the fun atmosphere It's the atmosphere that is is involved in in that tournament, you know, not having to be quiet all the time, partying, having a good time right. and taking that experience and like, all right, what can we implement that into banana land? Or even what is it, you know, how does the caddy hand a golfer a club? Can we do that as a hitter entrance, which we ended up doing and caught national national attention, you know, yeah. that stems just from being myself, being a golfer. I was a caddy when my last year in Vegas at, at the side, when I wasn't, you know, working with Vegas Gold Knights, you know, putting on the, the white coat and putting on the bag and, and range finder and book and like being very intentional that when we do this golf batter intro, which actually came from our finance guy at the time, which is crazy. He suggested it is like, all right, so let's do this, but let's do it right. And so then we study golf. So it's like, all right, let's see how they, let's see the mannerisms. They shoot the yardage. They have the yardage book. They take the head cover off. They put it back on. They talk for a second and then they hand them the right club. Caddy stands back and then they go. So it's just getting that very detailed experience so that when a golfer sees it, they're like, oh my gosh, these guys nailed it. And, yeah, and so good. You know, all, all the way down to what they heard. I mean, we even played the master's music over the back. It's just getting very intentional. Yeah, I love that. So how did you get then from, you're having this great experience with Golden Knights. How did you know Jesse convince you to go to the with this fan of bananas? How did that all work out? Yeah, I think that something that can't be stated enough 
is that I believe that there's a shelf life when it comes to people in entertainment in certain areas. You know, I think that eventually, even here in Banana Land for myself, that one day I am going to, I'm not going to run out of the ideas, but my ideas won't be the best. And so that doesn't mean that I, I move on and go do something else, but it does mean like, okay, we have to figure out new ways to do new things and find that, that those new areas. And so it was getting to that point in Vegas where there wasn't much movement and it was another year of stage management and we were just coming off the COVID season. We were just starting to open up to fans and we were doing this artificial crowd noise. I was the person actually hitting the buttons on the artificial crowd noise, which is pretty crazy, but you know, just figuring out what to do. Um, and I remember it very clearly. I got a video message from a 912 number. And I was like, what in the world? Like, you're, I'm not going to open this. This is definitely spam. I should not open this in front of my mother. My mom was like being nosy. That's what she does. So I open it up. And the first thing I see on my screen is is a guy in a yellow tux. And it's a video. I'm like, what? what? What's going on here? Yeah. What, what is this? So I, I play it. And, you know, he says, Zach, my name is Jesse Cole, owner of the Savannah Bananas. You know, I got your information from Johnny Greco and, and Cameron Hughes. And they had some great things to say about you. And I see you got some baseball in your blood. Would love to just kind of chat with you and have a conversation about what we're doing here in Banana Land. And um, I like meeting creative people and, you know, having those conversations. And so, of course, I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, I'd heard of the Savannah Bananas. I wasn't a huge fan, but I, I knew who that they were and what they were doing. And so have the conversation. And Jesse and I kind of clicked immediately. Like we both had very similar ideas on where baseball is going wrong, entertainment as a whole, you know, why baseball needs to be more fun and all this kind of stuff. And we also talked a lot actually about while I was working with the Vegas Golden Knights, I was also the director of entertainment for UNLV hockey. So okay. I was taking all of these things that I was learning from the Vegas Golden Knights and dropping them down to the UNLV hockey level at this college hockey level. But the big thing is, is in Vegas with the Vegas Golden Knights, you could throw millions and millions and millions right. of dollars at a problem. With UNLV hockey, we're a self-funded program. You can't do that. You know, I don't have that type of budget. And so how do we make this incredible experience for UNLV hockey without the money? And that's what I was, that, I think that's probably the one thing that I'm the most proud of in my entire career is being able to, you know, we won an award for like the best fan atmosphere in college hockey for the ACHA that year and for those two years that I was there. And it was very rewarding, but that's something that we talked about here in Banana Land. And that's something that Jesse brought up. It's like, you know, we don't have millions of dollars to throw at problems. We don't have a video board. You know, at the time we were just, they were just a college summer baseball team that was experimenting with this new thing called banana ball. Right. And so that was something that we got very, like, you, like we have to be very intentional on our spending. We have to be very clear on what what our plan is and how are we going to not use technology how are we going to create this fan experience without spending billions of dollars and we aligned very very well and the next thing i knew i was on a flight down here to produce the one city world tour so we did two games here in savannah and this was the first time that banana ball was being played almost to the public if that makes sense they played banana ball before yeah. but it wasn't necessarily like at that final stage ready to show to the world so the, these were big tests. And so unintentionally, I was kind of brought in to master this banana ball experience with the college season airing in the background. Like at the time, it wasn't even a thought to leave this CPL. It was more just like, can this banana ball thing work? And then we go to Mobile. And then shortly after, that's when I become the director of entertainment here with the bananas. 
do the CPL season, win the championship that year. Again. And then the next year going and yeah, going into the this main tour, this last tour that we did this past year, and then another CPL season, another championship, and now building me out to where we are now. So, you know, just those ideas and how we connected was very important. And it was it was time for me to leave Vegas and I was ready for a new adventure and ready to almost take over my own team on the entertainment side and work closely with Jesse. I mean, you, you do a little bit of research on Jesse and you just understand how how much of a masterclass he's made here in, in Savannah and what a great person to learn from. And now we work stride and stride. He's like a marketing guru. Just real quick, folks. Banana Ball is an awesome new experience that the Savannah Bananas have created. My understanding of it is it's less than two hours, no bunting. If you're in the crowd and there's a foul ball, you catch it, it's an out. An inning, you get a point. You you like winner. It's binary. You win or lose the inning. What else? Can't, can't step out of the box. The main thing is with banana ball. It's just it's make the game faster, more entertaining, and more exciting for the fan to watch. You know, watch our sprints, which is a whole different situation. But you know, it, it's 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 geared more for the live experience, and it's just more fun and more exciting and more action packed baseball. Love it. The UNLV hockey thing is really interesting to me. How did you do that with, with basically no budget? Like, what were the things that you implemented or how did you approach it? What was the process, yeah. the delivery in order to, you know, make it such a great experience? When I first got there, they were playing music off an iPod, like an iPod. And it was not fun music. It was the classic. Every hockey team plays rock and roll. Their PA announcer was boring. And I came in and, and kind of took over all of that. Like my first game, I actually just DJed the game. I, I played music off of that at iPad, but I went into Spotify and found different songs and, you know, really just turned it more to this party atmosphere. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's the best thing we've ever, we've ever had. Like, can, can you come again tomorrow and do it again tomorrow? And then, and then exactly. So I did the same thing. I came in, PA announcer didn't show up. They're like, do you think you could PA as well? And I'm like, I've never had a day of experience PAing, but sure, I'll try it. I remember I butchered like every last name. Granted, I knew a lot of these guys, but I just didn't know them by their last names. And so it was just a matter of creating energy from the start. And then we were able to kind of, you know, the Vegas Gold Knights being there in our home arena, being their practice facility, they were already throwing in money just to, you know, maintain the rink. And so that's when we started experimenting with lights. So I went out and bought my own light bar that I ended up donating to the program and bought a fog machine. And, you know, then we created a video once they put in a video after my second year, and then we created our own video with a zero budget. You know, we just went around the city and used the arena. We you know, used this light bar, used the fog machine, and just used all the resources that we had for very little money and just tried to create something that these fans had never seen a college hockey team do. Yeah. And so we would turn out the lights, turn on our light bar, turn on the fog machine, uh, play the video, the on-ice stuff, make sure the music is loud, exciting, make sure the PA is loud and exciting. And then... Then it was just a matter from there of getting the, the students into the games. And so we started to, to grab students and, and run student specials and we did a Greek night. And then like after I would say like the first time that we got a good student turnout, that was the least amount of fans we ever had ever again. We sold out every single game from students basically alone for the rest of that first season, moving forward all the way into the next three years. That I was and there. the impetus for the students is just they were having fun. Yeah, they were having fun. They were watching hockey. They were watching their friends. I mean, our hockey team was very integrated into the into campus. They lived on campus. They were they were around. They made themselves visible. They would wear their jerseys. Like they became faces for 
for the student body. And it was a club hockey team, like the football team and the basketball team. Neither of them were very good when I was there. Baseball team was okay. Team was good. But like a lot of these athletes are very secluded from the actual student body. Yeah. These guys being college hockey players and, and being ACHA, which is a little bit different than an NCAA ran program, they were given a lot more freedom to go out and be a part of the community, That's great. which was really cool. So now Savannah Bananas, how do you go about producing and preparing for a show and running this show? Yeah. So, so the bananas is, is a completely different world. And I had to realign a lot of my thinking when it came to entertainment. Once I got down here, one of the biggest ones being was, you know, the relationship with the players, you know, in Vegas, it was very clear from early on. It's like, keep your head down. Don't look at the players. Don't talk to the players unless you're like directly told to. And like, just, they're very like separated. So it's like, you have your staff and then you have the players, right? Jesse, the first day is like, I need you to be in the locker room being their best friend. Because you're going to you're gonna ask them to do a lot of different things that they're not comfortable doing. You're going to have to ask these guys to dance. You know, you're going to have to ask them to go take a little girl on an ice cream date. Yeah. You know, like all of these things, they need to trust you. And they need to understand that you have their back just as much as they have your back. And so that was kind of the biggest shock when, when coming in. And it was a lot of realigning how I imagine things. Just like I said earlier, you know, in Vegas, it was like, let's go to hockey games. Let's go watch more hockey games. When I came here, I was like, all right, let's go. You know, we got, you got a couple of Florida teams right down the road. Let's go to, let's go to Florida and watch a baseball game. It's like, no, why don't we go watch WWE? And so it's realigning this, this idea of entertainment. And from there, it was ideas. You know, I didn't do a lot of idea creation in Vegas, but here, Jesse and I, for the first year, did 10 ideas every single day on a different topic. And that just created such a great flow of new ideas continuously throughout an entire season. And we still do it to this day. I mean, we do ideas once a week, at least, even in the off season. And once we get into season, we continue and pick back up to doing it almost every day because ideas are what, what makes this place run mm. and keeps us moving and producing amazing content. And so it's kind of realigning that idea of, you know, who are we entertaining for? How are we entertaining? And, and then also... I, I was given the keys to the city almost as, as so to speak of just like, it's your show now. You're the, you're the protector yeah. of the show. So let's do it and let's make it right. And so Jesse and I worked very hard on, on getting there and, and creating this once in a lifetime experience. Do you build out the whole season in advance or are you guys, you know, changing and iterating kind of game to game? We do, we do new things every single game. So we'll, we'll, we'll do at least, you know, when I first started, it was one new thing a game and then that evolved to four new things a game. And then this last season we did six new things a game. And then for the last tour that we did with those seven cities, it was actually like close to eight new things a game. And now we're at like 10 to 12 brand new things a game. So everything is scripted out a little bit in advance. So I'll write the scripts usually about a week in advance and then within those things are all the new things so we can prepare for those new things that are happening that game but it just it, it takes a lot more planning than just you know writing the script the day of mm. and then going you know because yeah, yeah. we have a lot that goes into those ideas and so usually it's scripted about a week in advance okay how many microphones are you running like on a, any given show two or three two or three <laughs> oh, i would actually probably say four total so our pa has one pa shark he's the best in the business. I mean, he runs the music and the PA kind of like I did with Judah Hockey. Yeah. And then Jesse has his mic. And then we have a another mic for if it's another player or if we have two hosts doing something at the same time. So it's usually like three and then one backup just to be safe. So three or four mics. Are you running everything audio and then does everybody have a script in hand or is it just memorized or how do you guys 
typically do that? Yes. So I, I make two different scripts. I have my copy of the script, which is called the Showflow, which is the program mm-hmm. that we use, Showflow, where I write out everything very detailed, like down to the second. And then I give everybody else a one-sheeter. And the one-sheeter just has basically the contents, what time, and then the, just the, like the name of it. And then yeah. they're expected to know what that is. And usually they do. I mean, it's very difficult. Like we do so many rehearsals that it's very almost impossible for them not to know what that is. Um, but... I, I basically call the show. So I have a headset, which is talking to, you know, I have two to three stage managers at any given game. So I'm talking to them. I'm talking to the broadcast team. I'm making sure the broadcast is ready for all these different things. The marketing team, our, our video team, and also, and as well as like our characters and our PA and our DJ and all those kinds of things. So I'm kind of just running the operation from the show standpoint, from my headset with my script, but I'm also on the field you know, running around, making sure that things are ready to go on the field and making sure that things are running smooth on the field level. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I love that. So when you came on board, the Savannah Bananas it kind of had started to foment the couple of years you come on board. There's now a documentary on ESPN, which is amazing. Yeah. Like how has that changed the dynamic, you know, the, the pressure from the outside world, what influences that yeah. had on, on you and the organization? Yeah. I mean, the the big thing is, and something that we've always said, and from day one, we're fans first, entertain always, and that's that's what we live by. That's who we are. That's where we, you know, beginning, middle, end, fans first, mm-hmm. entertain always. And something that's very, you know, a part of that is that we want to take this thing to more people. We want more people to experience the Savannah Bananas, right? And being fully transparent, being a part of the college league was just not going to do that for us. You know, that takes up three months of of prime baseball summer, just being in Savannah. Right. And so the goal was, and once we left the college league and and that idea of, you know, taking banana ball on the road full time, what that does is it gets us to take it to one more fan. You know, we get to take this show to one more person and, you know, create that next fan, create that never forget moment for that kid. And what, you know, the exposure did, from the you know the documentary and from our social media is just exploding like crazy is it helped us build this platform to where more people can experience this and and be fans and we can you know be there for our fans when they're low be there for be there for them when they're high you know like the whole experience and and you know the countless stories that we get from people a girl named abby she was uh, struggling with some some medical issues and i I won't dive too deep into that just because it's her story to tell but she told me she's like you know i watched the banana nanas every day on social media every day while i was while i was in the hospital and it's those types of connections that we got to make just from you know creating that next fan and um that's that's what it's done the most for us is it's really just given us the opportunity to be there for people and you know create more fun for baseball and, and show that baseball is fun and that we're doing things differently and and that we're there for the fans. And I love the clarity of all of that from an organizational point of view, and everybody can get around that, but more importantly, the community can get around that because it's so clear. The banana tour, right? Yeah. Is, is it like Harlem Globetrotter style where you provide your own opposition? So you're running two teams effectively? Like yep. what's the setup? Yeah. So we're we're very similar to the, the Globetrotters and it's a compliment for sure because they change the game of basketballs. The big thing that we say that we're not the Globetrotters just because our games are incredibly competitive. However, the, the format is very similar. So 
we have two teams, like you said, so we carry both teams. You know, the bananas and the party animals are are the two teams that play. However, at the same time, we also do what are called challenger series. We we experimented with our first challenger series in this past tour in Kansas City, where we played the Kansas City Monarchs. So we took Banana Ball to Kansas right. City and played this team that had former big league talent. You know, they had Matt Adams. He won a World Series the year before. So like very incredible talent and we actually split the series with them they won one game we won one game and it was very cool to see just you know the fact that we could play against these teams and it also shows just the fact that it's not a scripted game you know the the globe trotters have won every game besides one and the one time the generals won it was an accident right that's not who we are our games are incredibly competitive and you know we're never going to script the outcome of the game um which is That's very awesome intentional. Here. Yeah, it, it's very cool. I mean, the party animals, I think they won like six games over our last tour. Like they won a lot of games. And, and the big thing is, is I think if you ask a lot of those fans who won the game, they're not going to, they're not going to remember, but they're going to remember that they had the time in their lives, you know, and that's where, that's what's awesome about this whole thing. And then the last thing that makes us different from the Globetrotters, you know, is the Globetrotters travel with like 40 people. You know, the two basketball teams and then a couple production hands. And that's about it. That they, they just dropped the show. We travel with everybody. So we travel with over 100 people for any given game. You know, our staff, our entertainment staff, our marketing staff, two baseball teams, you know, 20, te- 20, 20 apiece. And I consider those guys my cast members. So um, they're the entertainers. You know, that's 40 people right there. And then the staff and then our other entertainers, our Mananas, Banana Nanas, you know, the Banana Split sometimes, you know, Split, Maceo, the Dancing First Base Coach, our Dancing Umpire, Vincent. Like, we are traveling with just such a more broad group of people that you are truly getting a unique Bananas experience, an authentic Bananas experience, no matter what city we're in, which is very, very intentional. We don't want to go to a city and not give the best banana show possible because that's not a fan's first way of looking at it. To be fans first, we have to give them the best experience possible. Is this everybody on a tour bus, tour buses? Is that how you guys? Kind of, yeah. So we, last year when we, when we did, we kind of focused on Southeast this past year. So Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and then obviously we went up to Kansas City. But those are all tests. You know, we bus to a lot of those locations for the Southeast, but you can't bus to Kansas City. That's just too far yeah. from, from Savannah to Georgia. So we did the test. So can we fly this somewhere? Can we take this production on the road via, you know, a plane? And we were able to do that. And so that basically cleared up the, the thought of like, okay, let's take this all over the country. Let's take this all over the world. And we've said one city world tour the first year and then the bananas world tour last year. Like we always have said world tour because it's not where we are right now. It's where we're going. And that's the intentional purpose of like why we've called it the world tour like the one city world tour we went to mobile alabama that's not international but it's not where we are now it's where we're going which is pretty cool and and the first step was that was like can we take this on a plane and go somewhere and we did that in kansas city and it went really really well and now now we're clear that we can do this anywhere over the country or anywhere all over the world love that you you know you when you guys you come up with all these ideas and it's happening on a regular basis and you're adding and changing how do you get from idea to execution? Do you have a big team? Like, are you guys running down to Walmart to get a, <laughs> a, a prop? Like, how does that, do you just yeah. have a closet full of props? Like, what's, how do you make that happen? So both, both, I, you nailed it on the head. That's the big thing that when I got hired was, was Jesse's big thing. 
is like, I can create ideas all day, but when it comes to execution, that's what I'm good at. That's like my job is being the executor of, of this thing. So Jesse will come with an idea and it's like, how do you, how do you make this reality? Right? So that's kind of this whole process of what we've been doing. And it's taking an idea from that beginning stage and really just from idea to implementation and how is it going to be seen from a fan's perspective? What are they hearing? What are they seeing? How are they experiencing it? The whole nine yards, you know, that's kind of my job, I guess. And then I have a team of people, usually three or four people, three stage managers. Uh, and, you know, we all take these these ideas and if we don't have the prop, we do have a studio full of props and costumes, which is awesome. And I love our, our prop studio, but there's always going to be something that we need. So it's either ordering it on Amazon a week in advance or are we going to Walmart? We do something called Sweethearts of the Game where we we bring roses to little girls in the in the, in the crowd, yellow roses. Awesome. And so someone has to go get the roses every week because roses go bad after two days, you know? Okay. So those kinds of things, it takes a full team of people to really take it from, okay, here's the script. Here's exactly what we're doing tonight. This needs a prop. This needs a prop. We need flowers for sweetheart. We need confetti for this and yeah, a pizza for this. All right, ready, Blake. Everybody knows their assignment. Is it really hard budget or do you have some flexibility there on the budget? I feel like this is actually a game changer. Yeah. Budget is, is, is tough for sure. You know, we, I have a very clear budget of what I can spend throughout an entire season. And so sometimes games are going to be a little bit more expensive. But then there are other games where I don't need to go buy anything at all. You know, I have a partnership with those flowers, so it, I don't have to pay for the flowers every time. It's a partnership to where that's a gift for us, and, and we, we help them with tickets and stuff like that. You know, there will be games where I buy 10 things for the game, and then there's other games where we have everything, so I don't need to buy everything. So it's more of just like a year-long thing as opposed to like a concrete per game, you know, budget, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally get it. As long as the whole thing ties up, you're good. Correct. Yeah. And we're just jumping the rapid fire here. Yeah, let's jump. What was it like having Red Sox legends, Bill Lee, Johnny Gomez join the Bananas? Yeah, incredible. It was incredible. Being a Red Sox fan myself growing up, my first ever jersey that I ever owned that I got as a Christmas gift was Jonathan Papelbon, right? Awesome. And he and Jesse surprised me this past tour, our summer series, with Papelbon coming and pitching. And I mean, oh, cool. what an unbelievable experience, right? It's yeah. like you live out some of those childhood dreams. Johnny Gomes in 2013. Like, I, I remember very clearly watching those games as a kid. You know, I never got to watch Billy pitch. I was too young, but my dad loved it. And so yeah. he came and watched Billy pitch. And him and Bill actually had a beer in the locker room. Huh. And so he came out like as a kid yeah. in a candy store. Like, he just lived a childhood dream. And that's something I got to provide for my dad, which is pretty insane. And, yeah. and it helps that Jesse's a Red Sox fan, too. He's from yes. Massachusetts. That's awesome. And talk about an oh shit moment, like the show must go on. Do you have one of those that you remember well? I do actually. And this is, this happened in our summer series and it's actually really sad. Bill Lee actually collapsed in, in the bullpen in, in one of the games. And it was our first game. We we're on ESPN. Like this is a very big game for, for us. And it started with an hour and a half rain delay, you know, and that's another thing that we can get into is rain delays. Cause that's an oh shit moment every mm-hmm. time. But you know, this game is happening and it, and there was something very special about this game of just like, this game is going incredibly well. Like everything's hitting, the fans are here an hour and a half after the game was supposed to start. Then Bill collapsed and it's, everybody kind of experiences this a little bit differently. You know, our players have the opportunity to be emotional in that moment and be, you know, 
experience this. For me, on my end, I have to kind of remove myself from the situation and understand how this is going to affect everybody in the audience. So how are we going to play music? First of all, like, like obviously right now we're keeping this silent for our EMSs. You know, there's that, there's, you know, what's going on in the stands. I have ESPN in my ear. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Like all these things. I have to almost remove myself completely from the situation. And remember, I have a show to produce here. And thank God, I mean, if if, if he didn't get up, like who knows what, what happens there, you know, that's a completely different situation. But thankfully he got up, he walked out under his own power, which is unbelievable. Yeah. It, I mean, I think Bill Lee was built in a lab, if I'm being completely honest, like he's He's crazy. He's a crazy guy. But then it's it's a matter of, all right, how do we get back into this game? You know, mm-hmm. how do I ask Kyle Luigs, who is our starting pitcher of the night? He's one of my, he's probably my closest friend that I have here. You know, how do I ask him to go retake the mound? You know, it's those types of situations that that's where I have to almost remove myself completely from this situation and, you know, understand like there are 4,000 people here and they need that authentic bananas experience. And now more than ever, they could use a smile, yeah, right? Exactly. They could use a laugh. They could use an experience. So let's get back to to normal and really provide this great experience for the fans that are here and, you know, sort of have this moment of clarity and enjoy it and celebrate this for what it is. And then we can worry about the other stuff later. But thankfully, he's okay. He came out and pitched. He threw the first pitch the next week. You know, he was up and walking around. He wore his uniform in the hospital. He was like, I could pitch tomorrow. Yeah. And we're like, all right, Bill, relax. Like, take take a take a week off. He's right? enough, bud. I'll be here. Right, exactly. <laughs> but th- those kinds of moments happen. And that being a, a director and, and kind of overseeing the show is something I have to, you know, experience and experience a little bit differently and, and produce differently. Yeah. And I think you, what you said there is very pertinent. It's going back to your guys' whole statement of, you know, fans first, entertain always. But really, that was a cathartic moment that the fans actually needed, whether that personally everybody was affected or not on the, in, you know, internally. Who were, All right. You, know, you guys had to like park your own emotions and make sure you're taking care of everybody. So everybody then was able to move on and catch their breath. Yeah, really important. Definitely. Last Definitely. question, and what I ask everybody. So if you're in my shoes, CEO of a you know, startup entertainment company, running the Free Jacks, MLR is exploding, rugby's great, you know, but our, we're also in the business of entertainment. What are you going to be focusing on? Treating your fans right. You know, fans first. You know, the, it, it, it's heartbreaking that a family of four can't go to a major league stadium without basically having to take out a second mortgage, right? Uh, here, here in Banana Land, our, our tickets are all inclusive. It's all you can eat food. All you can eat snacks, you know, sodas, waters, and then what does the ticket cost? $25. And all you can eat food. Yep. All you can eat food. So, you you know, the family of four, they spend a hundred dollars to get dinner, a great entertainment experience, a show, treating our fans right. And putting our fans first is incredibly important. You know, we don't think of the short-term gain. We think of the long-term fan. So, you know, sure. Doing all you can eat is probably right now, probably not the smartest idea, probably not the smartest business decision of all time. But if we think about it long term, it creates this fan experience that is so incredible and they keep coming back. And what how does do that do? It? On that? Yeah. How do you deliver on the food piece? Sorry to totally interrupt. It's just very cute. No, totally fine. Is that internal? Do you guys just run your own food license and have your own setup? Oh, yeah. 
No, that's... Yep, it's it's very similar, just like a con- concessions. Like if you go to any ballpark, it, they have the stands that have the food running in the back, and then yeah, they they put it forward. I mean, our, our grill team they're they're cooking pretty early in advance. I mean, I think they start the grills around you know four thirty when our gates open yeah. at five thirty, getting food ready, just because you know we have a line that wraps around our building before the gates even open, which we you know. Thank, thank the Lord and can't be can't be more thankful for mm-hmm. our fans that show up early just because our show does start at 530 when our gates open. But we our food needs to be ready as well because these fans are coming in and they're going to eat. You know, that's part of the experience. And unfortunately, we can't do that on the road as much as we would like to. You know, it, it's really tough just because these other ballparks, they, they're kind of in charge of their own prices there. But when you come here to Savannah, that $25 is getting you all you can eat food, all you can eat sodas and waters, and then there's other like viable items, you know, beer, garbage can nachos. Yeah. But even still, like it's not going to be $15 for a beer. No. You're not going to be paying $16, $20, which is more than the ticket for a beer, which yeah. is pretty incredible. You have standing room prices for a beer, which is less than the pub across the street, five bucks, and you get a draft. And the whole, yeah, yeah. The whole concept is a family of four can come from for under $100. Zach, this has been absolutely incredible. You're going to be on the tour, certainly in New England. We have fans. Oh, yeah of the pod all over the world, but you'll be August 14th in Hartford, August 16th in Brockton, Mass, August 18th in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you come to the offices. We actually have a massive festival, the 19th, 20th. I know you guys are on the road, but if you guys want to come hang out and watch some good music, you're, you're our guest for sure. I love it. I'd love to. I'd love to. Awesome. Thanks everybody for listening to the latest episode of Full Contact CEO. Stay tuned for a slate of exciting guests in the world of sports, rugby business, and of course, Free Jacks, all things. Don't forget to subscribe and make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook for all the latest updates. Let's ride.